feel kind of lost because I was up here singing. And usually when I preach, I, can, I have time to get used to the idea of preaching as I'm walking up here. But I'm already here, so I'm, I'm not used to the idea yet. So we'll go ahead and get started anyway. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> if you remember a few been a month ago now since I preached last, but when I last preached, we talked about um, this present suffering, and we saw three things in verse 28 of Acts, or Romans 8, 28. We saw that there is help in this present suffering, and we looked at the good in this present suffering, and we also saw the purpose of this present suffering. And it's all for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. God wants us to look more like Christ in our suffering. Um, and today we're going to begin to look at a map of salvation, an outline of salvation, if you will. And that's going to be in verse 29 through 30, or 28, yeah, 29 through 30. Um, So let's read the passage, and I'm still kind of, I've, I've been home this morning, early this morning, thinking about preaching today, and I got really nervous about preaching, and I'm nervous right now, and can you believe I'm nervous about preaching in front of you guys? I really am. So, I don't know what God has in store for you, but I hope it's good. So let's pray. Before we get too much farther, Father, again, we just thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach this morning to your people. And Father, we ask that you take your word and magnify it in our hearts, that you would magnify it over anything that I might say. And Father, we ask that you'd be, we would be challenged by your word today we would be built up and edified in your word today. That we'd be encouraged by your word. And Father, we just thank you and we praise you and we honor you for your word that you've graciously revealed to us and you've given it to us. We can all say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Father, what am I that you're mindful of me? Father, we thank you and we praise you for that. And Father, we ask that you just help us now as we look at your word for a few moments, that we focus on it, and that you would be magnified in all of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice in verse 
28 there, it says that uh, whom he did foreknow. And always, when I think about that, I always, I used to struggle with that foreknow. What did God foreknow in my salvation? And, you know, I also struggle with using me as an example. But I think it's a struggle that other people have as well about God's foreknowledge and predestination and how it all works together. You know, there was one time when I understood it in a different way, a way a lot of people understand it. And that way was that I thought that God looked ahead in time and saw what I was going to do, then chose me. Well, that's not a right, really not a right understanding of that. Because what that does is that leaves me coming partway to the cross. But in my understanding of that, or the way that I understood it, when I come to Romans chapter 3 and it said there's none good, no, not one, and there's none, all we have gone our own way, and there's none righteous, and there's none that seeketh after God. That was when my puzzle pieces didn't fit together. It would just blow up what I thought I knew about God's foreknowledge and predestination. Because I would read that and say, you know, I can't work away. I thought God. Because I didn't understand it. And I didn't want to understand it, actually. But one day, actually when I was in college, I was thinking about that, and we labeled this, and I hate labels, but the label is Calvinism and the doctrines of grace. That's the true label of it. For the people that oppose this, they call it Calvinism. But for the people that understand it, they call it the doctrines of grace. And as I struggled with this, you know, I was in college and I was taking these college classes and they weren't really talking about this, but I had been thinking about it and I, I said, what is my problem with the doctrines of grace and how it works and how predestination and free will and foreknowledge and all that works? What is my real problem? And I had to really examine myself. I got out, well, I, in my mind, I got a mirror and just looked at myself and what it means, all that stuff means, and how it fits together and how it makes sense because the way I believe it didn't fit together at all. If you've ever put together a puzzle, you know, like a thousand piece puzzle or 1500 piece puzzle, you know, the pieces are kind of small. <clears throat> and if you have a really good one, there's only one place each piece can go. If you try to force it in there, and if you have a 
a young child helping you with that puzzle, they'll often say, yep, it fits. But you look at it and a hand's here and it's coming out of somebody's foot or something, or it's coming out of the tree, it just didn't fit. And that's what I had going on with me when I was thinking about the doctrines of grace. What was my problem with it? Why was I struggling with God foreknowing what I was going to do and predestined me to do it and my free will and all of that. What was my problem with it? Well, the Lord showed me that it was me. I didn't want God to have that much control over my life. It's what it boiled down to. I did not want him to have that control in my life. I wanted to have some say-so in my salvation. And then the Lord really convicted me and says, it's not of you. It's my salvation. It's my gospel. I am the initiator of it. You aren't. And when I understood that, then all my pieces fit together. I could truly say that I wouldn't have sought God if he hadn't sought me. I was not a righteous person in any way. I was a dirty, rotten, low-down sinner, and I deserved hell. So I want you to, I hope that you understand what I'm talking about as we go through this and we think about what God's foreknowledge is. And we're not going to get through all of it this week, and we may not get through it all of it next week. But we're going to do what we can in the time that we have. <clears throat> all right. None of that was in my notes, y'all. So if you're looking at it over on the computer to try to figure out which slide it's supposed to be on, it's not there. Okay. That was an addition. That was an excursus. But I just wanted to understand that. Okay. All right, so people are saying okay, so it's good. <laughs> so I hope you brought your Bible today because we got a lot of scripture to look at to support what I just said. Okay? It's not just me or some guy that lived 500 years ago or something that he said, it's what God's Word says. Okay. Let's see. Let me get over here on this thing. All right. Where am I here? <clears throat> whom he did foreknow, verse 28 or 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, there's a, two things going on here. There's divine knowledge, or not divine foreknowledge, and human foreknowledge. And they're not the same. My foreknowledge will never, might, it might line up with God's foreknowledge, but it'll never be God's foreknowledge, okay? They're different. Human foreknowledge and divine foreknowledge, they are two different things. Human foreknowledge is this, 
It's when we plan our tomorrow based on what we already know. So when we plan for tomorrow, we know when the sun's going to come up. It's going to come up around 7, 13, or 14 tomorrow morning. And based on what we know about when the sun comes up or when it's going to be daylight, we plan our day. You know, we don't go, we don't make dentist appointments in the middle of the night. We don't plan to go to the grocery store when it's closed. It's all based on when it's daylight. So I can plan my day based on that foreknowledge. Well, that foreknowledge is not God's knowledge, foreknowledge. We set our alarm and make appointments based on our foreknowledge. Divine foreknowledge is God bringing to pass all that he has determined and decreed. That's God's foreknowledge, or divine foreknowledge. Dr. Barnhouse helped us understand um, what divine foreknowledge is, and it's not the same as human foreknowledge. God has a plan from before the foundation of the world, and that it will come to pass with no regard to the evil heart of humans. And I say that we have an evil heart. It's a sinful heart. And God's plan and his decrees are going to come to pass regardless of that. Some would say in spite of it. Barnhouse defines God's foreknowledge as this. It is his advanced determination to carry out... Let me say it again. It's his advanced determination to carry through a plan which he has eternally purposed in the counsel of his own will. Let me read it again. It's his advanced determination to carry through a plan which he has eternally purposed in the counsel of his own will. God has, a, has determined in his own counsel, according to his own will, what's going to happen. Okay, that's the Okeechobee version of that. Then he goes on, he says, and which is to carry through without variation because the Lord brings it to pass all that he has determined and decreed. I'll read that again. And which is to carry, and which is to carry through without variation that's God's immutability doesn't change nothing takes him by surprise but he carries it out without variation because the Lord brings it to pass he brings it to pass all that he has determined and in all that he has decreed to do that's God's foreknowledge. God is the author and finisher of our faith. Turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So in that verse, we learn that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is equal with God. He's the Son of God. But I want you to notice something else very important in this verse. And that's that the writer of Hebrews says Jesus. He says Jesus. And you might say, well, why is that important? Well, that's important because Jesus was a man. He was a man. He could have used any number of different phrases to describe the same thing. He could have said Christ. He could have said the Son of God. But he didn't. He used the, he used Jesus he used Jesus the name. And that's so that we would realize and so that we would understand this one very important thing. And it's in the last phrase of that verse. And it's sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When you when you get that, you're gonna be jumping up and down on the inside. Because what that is saying is that there is a man, the man Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. A man. Made of the same stuff we are. He came to this earth, he left that glory to be a man and live on this planet. He was tempted like we are, yet he was without sin. Not just any man, he's the perfect man. He can relate to your struggles and my struggles. He's a man. He's a man, he got hungry just like we do. He got tired just like we do. All the things that we experience, he experienced as a man. So he's not a high priest, he's not a God that cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Everything he, we feel, he felt. <coughs> So salvation is God's plan from start to finish. It, it, it includes our conversion, our life, and our service. Okay? There's some that will say, okay, in salvation, we have complete control on it. But it's our life and our service after salvation that God predestines and foreknows and all that. Well, no. It includes our life. Because how many of you can say, before you came to faith in Christ, that when you look back and they say you're looking back as always 2020, how many of you can say, you know what? Before I got saved, I saw God protected me from a certain situation that came up when I was younger, before I got saved. I know I can. As young as seven, eight years old, I, I can look back and see that God protected me. And I'm sure that y'all can say the same thing, that 
before you came to faith in Christ, God was working. He was working. He is God in, over, and through all. He's sovereign. That's what the women are talking about this week, the sovereign God. Ephesians chapter 1. While you're turning there, I'm just going to go ahead and read because I need to hurry up. Blessed be the God, and this is verse 3, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That man that we just talked about, he's blessing us with a spiritual blessing. Verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Those that come to faith in Christ, they were chosen before the foundation of the world. That's before the beginning. Before the beginning. In eternity, we were chosen. That we, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did he choose anybody? According to his good pleasure. God got pleasure out of choosing you and me to be his child. I don't understand it, but that's why. According to his will. Verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to his riches and mercy. There's another reason. It's according to his riches of mercy and grace. Wherein he hath abounded towards us all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. You know, it's all for Christ. That's what the redemption story is. The goal is Christ. That's the goal. That's the conclusion of the redemption story. And the redemption story is found from Genesis to Revelation, from the start to the finish. God had his plan. In whom we have also obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You want to know why God chooses anybody? Right there, the reason for his own will. Why did God predestine? Turn back over to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> he pressed, he predestined to conform to the image of his son. He predestined, he foreknew us 
so that we would be conformed to the image of his Son, and that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, when you have children and you talk about your firstborn, what that implies, or the premise of that, is that means that you have more than one child. Because if you only have one child, you don't have a firstborn. You have an only born. Okay? He's your only child. But when you have a firstborn, that implies that there are others, other brothers and sisters in the family. Okay? And that's, uh, that is a powerful step in, for us to know that God has chose us because he's chose us so that he have more children. We're adopted into God's family. We're chosen to be sons and daughters, joint heirs with Christ. We can call Christ our brother. Jesus is our brother. He's the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 14, how did he predestinate us? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, when you came to Christ, it was the leading of the Spirit that brought you there. The redeemed are led by Christ, or they are led by the Spirit. How does the Spirit lead us? Verse 11, but if the spirit of man that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead also shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You see, when you come to faith in Christ, because the spirit was there leading you in you, he's dwelled in you before you come to faith. How do we know this is true? How do we know that is true? Romans 8, 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When you come to faith in Christ, when you turn to Him in repentance and faith, you know that you're a child of God. You know that you are. Because it's the Spirit that indwells us. God's Holy Spirit indwells us. And it bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And you might say to yourself, well, this is Paul saying all of this. Who else says something like this? I'm glad you asked that question. John 10, 27. John 10, 27. It says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You know, when you're struggling with what God has for you to do, and you say, you know what? I felt like God was talking to me, and he called me to do this or that. He called me to preach or called me to be a missionary, called me to be a mom or a dad or whatever. That's not really... God speaking to you per se like giving new scripture 
Don't you hear in God's voice, the voice of Christ saying, this is what I want you to do? He puts it in your heart as a conviction. You have a conviction to follow Christ to be a missionary. You have a conviction to follow Christ to work at the prison. You have a conviction to follow Christ to work at the hospital. You have a conviction to do what it is. Okay, you understand that? Are we just puppets? So looking at this, are we just puppets on God's string? You know, I've made some points that God calls us. He's the author and finisher of our salvation. And I might have left in your mind that, okay, I'm just doing what God said to do, and he's got me on the string, and I'm going to do it. Are we just that? Are we his puppets? Well, no, we're not his puppets. It is true that God is sovereign over all, but man still has a responsibility. This is our responsibility. <clears throat> Turn over in your Bible to Luke. Luke. Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. I want you to notice what Jesus says about this. And we're going to have to interpolate understand what he's talking about but the principle is the same there's a principle here that I'm going to show you that's true okay verse 1 it says there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices so Pilate sent some soldiers to the temple and he killed some people in the temple and the blood was mingled with the blood of the sacrifice. And what did Jesus say? Verse 2, he says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that the Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans? Because they suffered such things? Verse 3, I say unto you, Nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Verse 4, it says, Or of the eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye they were more sinners than all the men that dwell in Jerusalem? He says the same thing. Verse 5, I say to you, Nay, except ye repent, you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And the principle is that if you don't repent, you will perish. Okay? We can put our name in there in place of the ones that were killed by either Herod or the tower falling on them. You put your name right in there and say, if an accident fell on you and you were, you were killed, you were driving home and Something happened and you were in a terrible accident and you died. You could not say that you were a worse sinner than anyone else because you died. But you could say, except you repent, you will likewise perish. Okay? 
What is your responsibility towards salvation? What is your responsibility? Well, first thing is repent. Uh, Acts 17, 30, it says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God commands every man to repent. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to repent. Okay? That's our responsibility, to repent. Hebrews 3, turn over there. We're going to look at some verses there. Hebrews chapter 3. And I'm looking ahead here, and I don't have any other book to turn to besides Hebrews 3, okay? All right, this is the last time you have to turn. All right, Hebrews 3 is talking to the Hebrews. Whoever the writer is is talking to the Hebrews. And he's reminding them of when God called them out of Egypt. And he says that he called them out with a mighty hand. He called them out. And I'm adding other verses in here that talks about the story. But God did call Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He brought plagues on the whole land of Egypt. Then at some point in the plagues, he just separated Israel or the Jews from the Egyptians. And there were plagues just brought onto them. Then there was the final plague of the death angel that came through the land and everyone that didn't have blood of a lamb on their doorpost and the lintel. The firstborn was slain. And that included of animals as well. Then he, then the Egyptians said, y'all get out of here. We can't stand any more of this. Y'all go. And as they were leaving, they were headed towards the Red Sea. And they got to the Red Sea. And God told Moses to hold his staff out. And part, God parted the Red Sea. And I read somewhere that the Red Sea, the deepest place, is 600 feet, and I believe that's where God took them through. It was 600 feet deep right there. And what? And the story says he they went across on dry ground. It doesn't say they went across on muddy ground, which is what you would expect if you know the lake dried up out there. You'd expect the mud on the bottom. It doesn't say they went across on damp ground. It says they went on dry ground. Desert dry ground. Dusty dry ground. That's a mighty hand of God. They all could say from those plagues that only God could do these things. And they're standing there looking at this big wall of water on this side and a big wall of water on that side. And they say only God could do that. That was the mighty hand of God that brought them out. But after they got out, they started complaining. Many verses say they weren't thankful for what God had done. And in Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse 11. It says, So... I swear in my wrath, 
they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, when Israel came out of the Red Sea there and they started complaining to God, they, all the ones that were alive, that were 20 years and old, older, every one of them died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. Because they were the only two that believed. He says it was because of their unbelief. They did not believe God. They did not believe it was God that parted the Red Sea, even though they saw it. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe God. They saw the mighty hand of God work, but yet they didn't want to believe that he could take care of them. They didn't want to believe. And their hearts were hardened. So there's two things we see there that are, re that are our responsibility in salvation. The first one, we must repent. The second one is we must believe. We must believe it. It's that God, we must believe that God provides salvation. We don't provide it for ourselves. God provides it. So do not, and the second thing we learned in that passage I just read is that we must encourage others to believe. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily. And we're pretty good about that. We get these texts every morning throughout the day in my phone. And our pastors and others in the church on that thread are encouraging each other. That's encouraging us not to have a hard heart of unbelief. So don't regret or don't begrudge your phone blowing up when a text goes out and then you get all those replies. Rejoice in it. Be thankful that there's brothers that care enough for you that they don't want your heart to be hardened in unbelief. Do not harden your heart to the work that God is doing in you. Verse 15, look at that verse. It says, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation. When you hear the voice of God, don't harden your heart to it. And if you want to hear the vo voice of God, read your Bible out loud. Okay? That's the voice of God. Don't harden your heart to God's Word. You can be exposed to the Gospel all day long, every day. And if you don't repent and believe, you'll spend eternity in hell and damnation. Okay? 
That's our responsibility is to repent and believe the gospel. And I want to encourage you today to come to the end of yourself today. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, come to the end of yourself and repent and believe the gospel. Trust Christ today. Let's stand. Father, again, we thank you that you've, re you've provided a great salvation and that you admonish us not to neglect it. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've commanded every man everywhere to repent and to believe. Father, we just thank you and praise you that you were so gracious in offering salvation freely to all who repent and believe. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please remain standing for our last song. I would really look forward to the women walking forward right now <laughs> to sing. <laughs> so I have my song paper here. <clears throat> Love lifted me. You hear, you, you hear about getting your steps in? Well, today I want you to get your lifting in. Okay? Every time you say lifted me, lifted me. Okay? <laughs> <laughs>